Well, hello again, and this is Tandem Coaching Academy Skipping Agile Non-Denominational Podcast, and we are your hosts today, Alex Goodenough and Sherry Silas, and we have a fascinating guest for you today. This is Cornelia Shipley, and she is a founder of 3C Consulting and a, a speaker, professional development and diversity consultant and strategic planning expert who works with clients to expand their capacity, increase their capability, and drive clarity in the organization to ultimately increase the retention and advancement of mission-critical talent. Hello, Cornelia. Welcome. Hi, Alex and Cherie. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be here. Can you hear me okay? Yes, absolutely. And we are looking forward to this um, conversation. So uh, give us a little bit of a background. How did you get where you are? Oh wow! How did I get? How did I get to be the the person I am today? That's the that's interesting that you asked that question. It's the first coaching question I typically ask of new clients in the introductory call. Is is how did you come to be the person you are today? Uh, so I am an accidental entrepreneur. Um, that's how I would define myself. I spent the first part of my career in corporate America working for three large organizations: two in consumer goods and one in defense as a, a defense contractor. I worked in sales and sales training and development uh, for one of those consumer goods product companies and in HR for the other two organizations that I worked for. Um, and in 2006, like many people, I had some significant life events, very similar actually to what people are experiencing in 2020 and 2021 with COVID. My mother was diagnosed with breast cancer and my father had a stroke. Uh, within a couple of months of each other. And I was living about 1500 miles away from them. Excuse me, and I'm their only child. <laughs> so that necessitated me uh, leaving my job in Albuquerque, New Mexico and relocating back to Michigan, which is where my family was. I started my business. Um, and within two weeks of starting it, we were working with our first client. Mm-hmm. So um, I have been doing this work since 2006. So I guess that makes this uh, almost year 15, year 14, year 15, something like that. Um, and I have a team of 17 people who work with me, 17 amazing professionals, um, most of whom are ICF credentialed coaches, all of whom have had extensive business background and business experience and who do both strategy consulting as well as people development. Fantastic. So what made you a successful entrepreneur? A successful CEO? Um, I think the biggest thing that has made me successful as a CEO was I got help and it took me a long time to do that. So uh, I started the business in 06 and um, over the time I hired coaches more focused on the skill of coaching than on the skill of running the business. And um, I quite frankly got tired of my business hovering around a particular revenue mark. (laughs) Um, and uh, I was tired of it and I hired um, the corporate agent it's the corporate agent.com the CEO of that business is a woman named Angelique Ruers and um, she specializes in helping small business owners win corporate clients and the first year I worked with her and I'm I'm in a lifelong program of hers the first year I worked with her I I more than doubled my business Mm -hmm. and so Um, I would say there's no reason for an entrepreneur to struggle. There's no new business that you're creating unless it's, you know, something like a Tesla 
And even then there's still a process to sell a car, right? So you're not creating a new business and you need to find someone who specializes in selling either the product or service that you sell or in selling to the customer that you sell to so that you can get good robust systems in place to support you to actually do that work. Amazing. So what are some of the challenges you faced along the way? Oh, God. Uh, the first challenge was navigating, um, navigating my parents' illness, right? So kind of being a caregiver, um, as well as trying to, to run and manage the business. I, I always knew that um, the first time we went into a corporate client, I went in with six people. So my business was never perceived as just me. And I think that that's a big mistake um, that new coaches in particular make is that they will have, they hang out their shingle and they think that it's their shingle. So, you, you know, coaches have their name.com, right? Our business is 3cconsulting.com. <laughs> um, I own the domain for my name for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, one of the, the, the things that I didn't make the mistake of doing was to have it be me because it, it means even to this day, when we talk about who should coach a client, the conversation I'm having is who's the best person on the team to do that, not that I should be the person to do that. Um, so, so navigating parents' illness and kind of you know running the business was one big challenge I overcame. Uh, the second big challenge I, I, I overcame was actually also pretty personal. Five days after my wedding, my mother died unexpectedly. So I was in, <laughs> I was in South Africa on my honeymoon. I'm newly married and my father has lost the love of his life who's been his partner for 57 years. My husband has lost his mother-in-law of five days. I've lost my mother. Um, and so trying to navigate that, <laughs> you know, all of that and still run the business. And I'm very proud to say our clients were well-serviced and I was off for three weeks, which is significant in the United States because as you know, you get three days of funeral leave. I was off for three weeks. Um, and then the third kind of really big kind of pivotal challenge for me, I was diagnosed a couple of years ago with Epstein-Barr, which is um, basically adult mono. Epstein-Barr is the virus that creates mono. It's an autoimmune issue. So I suffer from very chronic fatigue. I have suffered from that for my entire life um, and have had to navigate that illness while continuing to grow a business. So um, for me, it has been those kinds of personal challenges that I've had to overcome to continue to run the business. And I've been able to do that because I did not say this was a business of just one person. I have always had a team. And um, you know, whenever we're talking to clients about who's gonna do service delivery, it is very rarely me. I do very particular things like strategy development and strategic advisory. If you need a trainer, it's not gonna be me. If you need somebody to coach somebody, if it's not a strategic advisory relationship, it's probably not going to be me. Just depends, right? There's, there's exceptions to those rules. But I'm clear that I run the business. It's a business and I run it. That doesn't mean I do service delivery for clients. And I think a lot of people have that confused. And it doesn't mean that your name has to be on the business. <laughs> something, to, something to say for, for Dell, for example. Right. I mean, but, but, you know, we associate Dell with computers. We don't associate Dell with Michael Dell. Well, not anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and even when I, when I got my first Hewlett Packard commute computer or when I got my first Dell computer, I didn't know who Michael Dell was. 
right? We got our first Mac computers. We didn't know who Steve Jobs was. We just knew that this Macintosh thing showed up, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's just important that people understand there's a difference between having a passion to transform the lives of people, of which I certainly do have that passion and commitment and get to do that in very particular ways in my business. And there's a program I run in our business that I run. I talk to every single person that's in that, in that program and I support every single person that's in that program on purpose. But I can't do that and run the business and service all of our clients. I, I don't have that much bandwidth. There's not enough hours in the day. <laughs> right. To be able to do that. And so I think it's just important that people understand there's a difference between deciding that you are a business owner and running a business and deciding that you want to service people in a private practice as a coach. Hmm. Those are not the same thing. And so uh, definitely a lot going on and a lot things happen that might have derailed you and it didn't speaks for perseverance and kind of resolution and some business savvy to get through this, right? So in, I think also the kind of the undercurrent there is the mindset that it takes to run the business. So um, what kind of mindset does it take to be a successful entrepreneur? Well, it's interesting that you asked me that question for two reasons. One, I know when we were in the green room before we got on today, I was talking about the fact that I'm getting a PhD in metaphysics, which is which is basically all about mindset, right? So, um, so I'm a student of this topic, an avid student of this topic. But I think that fundamentally, if, if you are going to be a business owner, you have to first and foremost, get beyond your own ego to think that you're the one who's the smartest person to do the service delivery in your business. You need to hire people that are smarter than you at the things that need to be done in your business. That's the first thing. The second thing is that you have to get good and clear about delegation, right? Because if you're managing time on your calendar and you're trying to project manage and you're trying to do service delivery, there's just not enough hours in the day. And then uh, another big mindset shift I think business ownership requires is that you have to value your time above everything. So you need to figure out what an hour of your time is worth. Um, I, I am a member of a multi-million dollar mastermind. The, there's six of us and the value of the six businesses um, in that mastermind is worth several million dollars. And um, you know, so our time is valuable as six CEOs. So, you know, do we need to be spending time making meals and do we need to be spending time cleaning our homes and do we need to be spending time running errands? Probably not. Um, And so it's about really understanding what is the right and best and highest use of your time so that you can actually focus on what needs to be focused on. Um, I have a colleague who just recently, she's got a multi-million dollar business and she is super excited because her personal chef starts this week. And yes, that sounds, you know, can sound lavish, but the question becomes her, she's a, she's an attorney. An hour of her time is worth $1,500. To have somebody come and prepare a meal is 150 bucks. She's, she's net positive 1350 an hour. To prepare a gourmet meal takes three hours. That's another $500 that she spent off of $4,500 of what her time is worth. 
right? So like you, you just have to be able to look at this. This is my time is valuable. Am I going to spend $150 when I could be doing $450 worth of time of stuff? Mm -hmm. Right. And most people don't think about it that way. Right. So interestingly enough, uh, we talk big numbers. We talk million dollar companies. And then there's this tidbit from ICF. According to their 2016 global coaching study, coaching spends an average of 13.9 hours per week working as coach practitioners and report average annual revenues of 47,900 47, United States dollars from coaching. What, what, what suggestion would you give them? What advice you give them to get out of those $47,900. Yeah. So the first thing I would, there are a couple of things from a business model perspective. Most people, when they start coaching, they're coaching one-to-one and you have to figure out the one-to-many model. So that's the first thing. The second thing is people's prices are just too low. People don't charge enough, right? And like, there's literally nothing else I can say except you don't charge enough, <laughs> right? So if you say you're going to coach someone, um, and these numbers shocked me when I first started coaching, I didn't start, I, I don't think that I even today still charge enough, right? But that's a, that's a different conversation. At the end of the day, when I first started coaching, there was a coach that I, I met at a coaching conference who was a speaker. He takes on five clients a year and charges each one of them a million dollars and his retainer fee is due in full on January 1st. So he knows on January 1, he's going to make $5 million. He's going to have that $5 million and he can do whatever he wants with it over the year. And he knows what his program looks like for each one of those five clients. And that is a one-to-one -one model for one person to coach five people for $5 million, right? Um, so you don't charge enough and you don't package what you're selling. That person is not exchanging dollars for hours. So they're not saying, here's the per session rate of 60 bucks a session, right? Um, so you've got to make sure that you're, you're pricing your product right and that you're actually selling to people who can afford the transformation that you offer. But you can't sell transformation until you're clear about the transformation that you offer. So if you're, a, if you're a fertility coach, to use the example, right, and what you do is you help people get pregnant, you got to be clear about what pregnancy is worth to somebody. Is it worth a million dollars to somebody? Is it worth $5 million to somebody? And then what's the return on investment you're trying to provide for that person? So let's just say getting pregnant is worth a million dollars. I'm not saying it is or I'm not saying it isn't. I just want easy math for this problem. <laughs> Okay, so if it's worth a million dollars and you want a hundred percent return on investment, you could be charging somebody a hundred thousand dollars to work with them to help them get pregnant. They're going to get a ten x return. They get a million dollar value back, right? So you have to move from what is the value that I'm offering. Well, move to that from the notion of what's the time that I'm spending. Uh-oh, we can't hear you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry. So I love that you're, you're talking about this and about, you know, we don't charge enough. And I think that's true. 
And I also can hear our listeners thinking, yeah, but how do I do that? <laughs> how do I break out of this? Yeah, so my answer, and, and you know this, Sherry, you were my student for a while, right? Um, you probably remember me saying this to, to our class. You say the biggest number you can with a straight face, right? Like, what's the biggest number you can say comfortably that you think is valid? If that number is $50, great. The next time, say 51, right? Like, don't you don't have to jump from $47,900 that Alex said was the average, you know, an ICF person makes to a million dollars a client. Nobody's asking you to make that jump. You've got to... First of all, you've got to be clear about the value that you offer so that when you talk about your pricing, you're not moved by that. I'll mm -hmm. never forget. I was in a sales call with a woman who chose not to buy, right? So full disclosure, she chose not to buy. Um, but here's what she said to me. She said, I'm 100% clear that what you offer is worth way more than $120,000 you just said this would cost me. And I'm going to go do these things that you suggested so that I can get the $120,000 and come back and give it to you. Right. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a principle in buying. It's like the, the one who's the most committed wins. <laughs> right. Right. And it's, and part of the problem is when you settle on a low number, it's you, you damage your own self-worth. So then it becomes hard to say a bigger number. Right. And if you let somebody talk you into, um, and I'm not talking, we could talk about subcontracting in a second if you wanna talk about that, because there's a difference when you know, you're know you going out and pursuing the business and somebody just happens to call you on the phone and say, hey, do you wanna do this thing for this amount of money as a subcontractor? But when you're going out and you're, you know, you're fishing, you're going to go find your forge for your food, you've gotta be able to say the number you can say with a straight face, right? And, and if you know, the average coaching hour, the last time I looked at the study, I think it was either $350 or $400 an hour. Most people think they're above average, whether they are or they aren't. We're not debating like the validity of that statement because I know some bad coaches who charge hundreds of thousands of dollars. The average cost is $350. You should be saying $350. Time moves whatever number of sessions you're going to have with the person at a minimum. Right, because you, because you yourself think you're above average. So if if the average is three fifty, say four hundred. That's just like industry benchmarking numbers. I love your tenacity and your confidence, and um, it's inspiring. And I think that's awesome. And so something I'm really curious about is I think a lot of coaches fall into business on accident, right? They, they, I got into this because I want to coach. And then I look around and I'm like, what the heck? I didn't want to run a business. I wanted to coach. It, what's your, what do you want to say to them? No, if you, I mean, if, if what you really want to do is you really want to coach, go bench for somebody. Right. I mean, if that's if that's what your real passion is, get real good at your craft and go find some people who are going to be able to provide you with the level of coaching work you want to be doing at the rate that at a subcontracted rate that will afford you the lifestyle you want to have. You know, I mean, um, I will tell you that on average for an average coaching session in my business, subcontractors make about five hundred dollars an hour. 
That's done on purpose because I want to pay more than the average the ICF coach gets because I hire people who are above average. Awesome. Right? And those are the people, they didn't go look for that. <laughs> right? This is, I called and said, hey, I need you to do this thing and here's how much it's going to pay. You want that or no? Would you like an extra six grand in the next six months? Yes or no? Your choice. I very rarely have my bench members say no. <laughs> right? And I have some bench members who they make more when they work for me than they do when they work in their own business. Right? So if you really want to just coach, go work for somebody. Go take an internal coaching role. Go find somebody to bench for. And please, when I give my contact information, let me just disclose. I, we have a very extensive process to actually get hired as a coach in my company. And it starts with three ICF accredited assessors assessing your coaching capability at the MCC level. If you are not, if you do not perceive yourself as an MCC level coach, please do not email me when I give you my contact information at the end of this call. Love I'm just saying, because we won't call you back. So like, just don't waste your time. Perfectly clear. Uh, so you mentioned that at some point your business kind of, I wouldn't say flatline, but went flat. Yes, it was. You, it know, was you were kind of going on and on and how you get out of that rut and how you start growing again. Yes. So what is the secret to supercharge the business again? Yeah, I think the biggest, the biggest thing I have learned when, when my business has slumped is because I have not been focusing on business development activities. And by that, I mean the, the activities that get me in front of the people who will write me a check. And because 90% of the, the revenue we get is from corporations, that means I need to be in front of senior level leaders, both business line leaders and HR professionals who will hire me to do particular levels of work for them. So typically most businesses fail because they don't have enough customers. And in, in the case of a coaching business, it fails because you aren't talking to enough people who could either, who could buy your program. And if you're doing it one-to-one, you have to have hundreds of people to be talking to when you're selling one-on-one -on -one coaching. You know, if you're, if you put even just the leverage of a group program where it might be something that you're doing, you know, once a week for two hours with a group of people in a group coaching program, and that group coaching program is three or $4,000 for, you know, three or four months of coaching, you get back all the time you would have been using one-on-one -on -one with those other people so that you can be having conversations to enroll people one-on-one -on -one for more money, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I don't know if you follow Gary V, Gary Varnacek, he's, he's kind of popular on the internet. Um, he tells people to give away your best stuff for free. And his general disposition about that, at least what I've heard him say, is you do that because what people are paying for is personal access to you to solve their personal problems, right? They're not paying if you're giving away for free your best stuff for your methodology because you're talking about that on your podcast or you know when you're speaking from stage or whatever. They're paying for you to get in the trenches with them to solve their problem. And that should absolutely cost more should absolutely cost more. Mm -hmm. So you've got to create the space so that you have time to do the business development work so that you can close new business. 
And if you think about like percentage of the time uh, you need to spend as the business owner and as a coach on coaching and working with the clients versus business development activities, what's that golden ratio for you? Yeah, so so let's just say you're going to work a five-day work week. You should be working three days on your business and two days in your business, two days actually doing service delivery with clients and three days a week working on the business. And so, you know, most people who become entrepreneurs in this particular space are trying to have a lifestyle business, right? Which basically means you don't wanna be working five days a week. So if you don't wanna be working five days a week, if you wanna be working four days a week, that might then require that you hire somebody to do business development for you. Because if you still wanna do two days of service delivery, you still gotta find three days to work on the business. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. And I still keep going back to that, uh, what Cherie said, that a lot of people get in this one as, I want to be a coach. And maybe they recognize that business development is important and they start doing that business development and then they run into, oh, do I need to hire somebody? Do I need to manage payroll? Do I need to manage actually the whole business? So what are some other things that these potential entrepreneurs need to be aware of that requires their attention, investment, and all that good stuff? Yeah, well, one of the things that you wanna think about if you, if you own a business and not a job is that you actually have leverage in your business. <laughs> And, um, and that requires leveraging of your time, leveraging of your systems and processes, leveraging other people, but you've got to be able to lev have leverage in your, in your business. And there are a ton of systems that you can start to develop to help you create leverage in your business. Um, several of them are electronic systems. Now they've come out with a really interesting systems and tools. Um, I think uh, like Aligned Coach might be the name of the business, but there's some that are actually allow you to put all of your assignments for your coach, coaching clients into a system. You wanna have a really good um, CRM, so a customer relationship management system. So when you're getting those leads, you have a good way of staying in touch with them because most people have what I'll refer to as a non-active list, right? You're not nurturing them. You're not engaging with them. You're not staying connected to them. And then you've got to have a strategy and a system and a process to get in front of your ideal client. So first you got to know who they are. Who's the person that's going to make a buying decision? And is that buying decision a one-time buying decision or a multiple buying decision? So as an example, I had a call today with one of our prospects and um, she has particular authority because she works for a corporation. She's a particular signing authority of a particular amount in her organization. And as we were talking about, she was like, well, how much is this, how much is this gonna cost me? And I told her a six figure number because you, you wouldn't be surprised that I would be telling her a six figure number for some project that she'd wanna be working on. And so we talked about it and we were like, okay, great. So if this is your signing authority, let's talk about how we phase this project. So we meet your time frame and don't go over your signing authority, right? So you've got to make sure that you're talking to a person who can make multiple purchases, 
right? So we have multiple statements of work that cover the cost for this project and then multiple statements of work that cover the cost of the next project like that. So you have to understand, are you asking someone to buy one time or multiple times? And then if you're in an individual situation where you are, are choosing to own a job, not a business, because I define a business ownership as a person who has employees and leverage. You're leveraging your time, you're leveraging your money, you're leveraging other people to have a business. Um, but if you choose to have a job, own a job, then you need a thousand true fans. And a thousand true fans, whether they're, you know, whether you're in the music industry or you're a coach or an author or whatever, a thousand true fans are people who will buy whatever you put out. You put it out, I'm buying it. T-shirts, hats, gloves, coaching services, books, programs, you put it out there, I'm buying it. So if you Google a hundred, a thousand true fans, there's lots of research that's been done on a thousand, on that concept of a thousand true fans. Get yourself a thousand true fans and sell them whatever you want at whatever price points you want. I see Cherie is writing down getting thousand true friends tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really like that concept. Thank you. And so one of the things that has stumped me in the past and I think stumps other people is I want to work with companies, with corporations, I've got a background in that, but I, I don't actually know how to get in the door from where I am on the outside. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so you've got to, first of all, you've got to know who are you selling to in the company, right? So let's just say, um, I was talking earlier about my mastermind group, right? There's a person in our group who specializes in sustainability. So she talks to people who are chief sustainability and social responsibility officers. Those are her clients. Right. So she gets she so she Googles, you know, chief responsive social responsibility officers and she gets a list of people and she starts calling them. Hi, I'm Sheree and I'm the CEO of, you know, Tandem Coaching Academy. And I'm calling because our organization specializes in helping helping chief social responsibility officers do MQNP. And I'm curious, how are you doing around MQNP? And then you're quiet and you let them talk. And then they tell you what their problem is around MQ&P, which you're a specialist at solving. And then you go, great, would you like my help with solving that problem? And they're going to say yes, because it's a problem that they're having. And then instead of saying that'll be $29.99, you're going to say, you know, that'll be $30 or $40 or $50 or $60 or $70,000 for this engagement to to get you this return of $700,000. That's amazing. That's funny. I love that. I, I just simply love um, listening to you talk, talk about this. And so one other question. Yeah. Um, I talk to coaches all the time and it seems like the typical thought process is, well, I'm going to spin up a website and I'm going to get rich. If I put that website out there, they're going to all come to me because I, I'm, I have web presence and, and, and I've been doing this for four years and nothing's happened. Yep. So uh, Angelique, who is my coach, who if she ever sees this, she's going to yell at me, but su such is life, um, who's my business coach. So we, I had a strategy day with her. Uh, and in that strategy day, she gave me, I don't know, 
12 things to redo to my website. That was in 2018. The site looks the same. <laughs> and, and we have continued to grow our business since 2018. So you need a, a web presence, in my opinion, validates your credibility. It doesn't get you clients. After you've met someone and you tell them my website is blah, 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 they'll go take a look at it. But they're not on the internet looking for, you know, Tandem Coaching Academy. That's not, that's not what they're looking for. So you, first of all, you've got to have your website um, optimized so that the search terms you want people looking for are the search terms that are going to come up and your site is going to get triggered. But then you've got to make sure the site is verifiable. And today, in today's age, day and age, where people are going to verify you is on LinkedIn. So if you were to go and look at my LinkedIn profile, my LinkedIn profile is very up to date. It's got all kinds of stuff on it. Our website talks about our systems and processes and all of that stuff. That's all still very valid, but we haven't changed the site since before 2018. So I want to step back a little bit. Yeah. Mining conversation is fascinating. And I know that a lot of people in coaching, they are, they perceive themselves and they get into this business to serve people, right? And it's giving back to community, giving back to a specific group of people uh, and altogether giving back. Mm -hmm. So uh, how does that giving back theme if you are a successful entrepreneur how does that fit into the business model how does it help yeah so there's a principle in bni which is the business networking i don't know what the i stands for but anyway it's a, it's a business networking group they meet every week at the same time usually in the morning and they, they're a referral business kind of networking group so everybody comes with referrals for other people that organization has a principle that just says givers gain, right? More often than not, we say, um, you know, from a sales perspective, you go first, you give value first. So when I talk about nurturing your clients, nurturing your list, this is about adding value to them before they become a client of yours. It's why Gary Vee says, give away your best stuff. So that's one part of it. And you've got to have, you've got to be clear about the pain points of your client so that you can be giving them value so that they want to work with you. The other piece is, especially if you're going to work in a corporate space, corporations want to know, I just filled out a form for a corporation the other day. They wanted to know two things. Did we have a diversity strategy as a, as a company? And what was our social responsibility platform? How were we giving back, right? So you've got to be able to, to choose, and I tell my corporate clients this all the time, if you're going to volunteer, back to what is an hour of your time worth, right? Is it best spent pot packing boxes at the food bank or serving on the food bank's board, hmm. right? So if you're going to give back, you need to be giving back that positions you as a leader, as a thought leader, as a person who's of value in your community and who people want to be connected to and when they have a problem are going to call you. But they're not going to do that necessarily if you're packing boxes on a food line. Mm. 
versus sitting in a boardroom with you know the person from Deloitte who is also on the food bank board because Deloitte Deloitte's committed to you know helping end homelessness and and hunger in the country. Right. So you've got to be able to strategically volunteer and to give back in ways and places and spaces where your ideal clients will be. I was on a board meeting for half the day today because I sit on the board of the Game Changers Foundation, which is an organization that supports athletes, professional athletes, student athletes. And we do that because one of the businesses that we run is a company called Life After the League, which helps helps athletes achieve peak performance on the field and success in life after. And now I'm on the board of this nonprofit organization that helps athletes have peak performance in their life. It makes total sense. And it puts me in front of my target audience all the time. Every time I go to an event, every, you know, and I don't talk about 3C consulting at that event. I only talk about life after the, what do you do? I run a business called Life After the League. It absolutely makes sense. And it's, it, it's so simple, and I would have never thought about it that way. You just go pack food, or you just sit on the board of food bank. So, last question. Last one. Oh, here if we go. You, if you were to go back and meet that Cornelia who is starting new business, and she's just starting, and she's maybe struggling, and there's a lot that's going on one piece of advice that you would have given yourself? So there's one thing I did right and one thing I did wrong. And the thing that I did right was to establish the business as a business with other people doing service delivery. The thing I did wrong was I waited too long to find somebody who had expertise to help me where I was stuck. And so if I were to tell, if I were to tell myself to do something differently in 2006, the corporate agent actually did not, was founded a month before I started my business. So the probability that I would have found Angelique in a month is pretty slim, but <laughs> um, finding someone who had been successful and who understood how to sell to the clients I wanted to be selling to is absolutely the thing I would have told myself to do back in 2006. Mm. Sounds like a very good advice. So um, what's going on in your world? What's next for you? What's kind of next step, next high that you are gunning for? Oh, wow. So um, we, as you can imagine, there's a ton of stuff going on when you specialize in the retention and advancement of mission critical talent in the middle of two national uprisings and a global pandemic. There's lots of issues around retaining and advancing mission critical talent. Um, but I'm excited because in a couple of months, we are going to be um, launching a small group with coaches um, for, for alumni of, and students, prior students of mine around this concept of do you own a business or do you own a job? And really helping them sort out what does that mean for them to, to shift from owning, um, owning a job to owning a business and to really help them unpack what it means to understand that their thoughts are going to become things. And it's a question of whether or not they're navigating those thoughts and setting them up in ways that, um, that their mindset is in the right place first and that their actions can be in the right place second. So that's what we're up to. That's awesome. And um, 
Carney, you don't you have a book? I do. I wrote a book called Design Your It's around here somewhere. I think it's up there on my bookshelf. Why didn't you say anything? <laughs> I wrote a book. Well, I wrote a book in 2014 called Design Your Life, How to Create a Meaningful Life, Advance Your Career, and Live Your Dreams. Um, and I'm actually, as part of my PhD dissertation, working on a, on a new book around the law of cause and effect, right? So the universal law of cause and effect and, and helping people really unpack how both their thinking and their actions create the life that they have. Because most people get the action part of it. Most people don't get the thought part of it. And certainly most people don't get the belief part of it. Awesome. And I'm assuming that's available on Amazon or do they buy that? Yep. Your- so Design Your Life is, uh, it's a ye- the yellow book cover. I always like to tell people that Design Your Life is a very popular book title. So it's the yellow book uh, and it is on Amazon and it's also available on Kindle. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. So successful businesswoman running a business, a PhD student. Yes. Running another, uh, writing another book. Yes. How do you handle all of this? <laughs> I have a lot of help. <laughs> I have, the short answer is I have a lot of help. And the longer answer is I married well. And I don't mean that financially. Not that my husband's not financially successful, but I think you know, one of the biggest decisions women make, and it's the, the decision, in my opinion, that makes or breaks women, I can't speak for it for men, although I do think this is also true for them, is who you choose to partner with. And so whether you're in a same-sex marriage or relationship, a non-binary relationship, or a traditional heteronormative relationship, that person that you choose to partner with very much impacts your ceiling for what you can achieve and for for what you can get done in your life. So I've been in this office since nine o'clock this morning. I have left just to handle some personal needs, right? Um, Over the course of today, I have had food delivered to me by my husband. I have had water delivered to me by my husband. Um, And so So to make my life work and to make our life work, when I have days where I'm going to be in this office all day, that's what happens. When he has days where he's going to be in his office all day, the reverse happens, right? So I'm not trying to say, you know, he waits on me hand and foot and I don't respond in a kind because that's not true. But it is important that you um, that you have a good team of people that support you, right? We have a, I have an assistant, I have a project manager, I have a vice president who used to be the chief diversity officer of a very large organization and run high performing systems for her company. So if there's breakdown, if I need a vacation, I my business is in good hands, and if our client has a problem the vice president of our business can solve their problem as well, if not better than I can, right? So you've got to have, you have to have the systems and support in place that makes sense for how you want your life to live, to, to, to both how you want to live your life and how you want your life to work, right? right? Because most people don't have a life that works for them. Yeah. Well, Cornelia, uh, Thank you so much for fitting us into your day, which apparently started at nine in the morning yes. and still going strong. And I suspect you are still not leaving this office after you're done with our talk. You're right. I have one more call at seven. Yes, I have. I have one more. I have. But it's a social thing. It's my it's my book club. And I love the the, the other two women that I'm in book club with. It's a. Uh, 
We are a metaphysical book club. And so we're right now reading the book of She, which is all about um, uh, metaphys metaphysics for women. And so I will be on the phone with those two ladies and then I will grab my glass of wine and figure out what happened in the world on CNN today. <laughs> so thank you so much for fitting us in. Uh, it was really an enlightening conversation and uh, I wish you really well. And I wish you as few of those breaks in your business and in your personal life as just humanly possible. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Alex. And thank you, Sheree, for having me. This was thank great. You. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And this has been Tandem's Coaching Academy, Keeping Agile Non-Denominational Podcast. And we are your hosts, Alex Kudnov and Sheree Silas. Goodbye.